It's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, JT, how are you doing today? I'm good, GB. It's... Uh... It's been a, a couple of weeks, actually, that we've that we've had some episodes, so the listeners weren't without, but it's good to see you all again. Yeah, thank you. Uh, doctor, how are you? Oh, I am just peachy. You sound a bit hoarse today. Uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've been battling a... Uh, I, I think it's like these... I had these vocal cord polyps when I was... My kids were little because I was yelling too much. I don't know what that says about me, but I can't say I've been yelling recently, so I don't know what's going on. Hmm. That's but I do, I, I do have a little bit of a hoarse voice. So are you saying that uh, you used to yell a lot and now you don't yell? Yeah, I actually kind of, you know, cut it down. <laughs> How'd you do no, that? No, it's because of my kids, I think. Not because of my kids. You could say it's because of me and then my... Are uh, you saying in spite of your kids, you've been able mm, not to yell? In spite of my... No, well, my kids are grown up now, so okay. we're mostly grown now up. Now we just <laughs> ignore our kids. Yeah, exactly. I've learned the art of ignoring. That's true. There's no polyps that That's come along true. with that. That's true. That is absolutely true. No, I don't know. I think, honestly, it may be because I, I have been... Um, it's interesting. My in, in my office, sometimes when I see less people per day, which is, which is a good thing in, in many respects, I talk more. <laughs> really? because I'm spending more time with each person. Hmm. Whereas when I see a lot of people per day, which, you know, I think is the trend in, in wait, practice. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I challenge that because as, as a friend, I do know you talk a lot, but just because you have fewer patients, you may be talking more at one particular clip, but, the, the the sum of the minutes and the hours in a day, you're still talking a lot. Yeah, but when you're seeing more people, you're getting somebody in, getting the information you need. Like, you know, what does their urinalysis look like? What what blood tests do I need to get? Do I need to check how well their bladder's emptying? Like all these kinds of factors. I'm doing a lot less talking and a lot more doing and just because I need to be really efficient. Whereas if I have now 30 minutes to spend with somebody, I'm now going to get into a conversation with them, whether it's totally directly related, related to their urological issues, or we may just be talking about other stuff. All right. So I'm going to read between the lines. So on days that you have fewer patients, you're yelling at your staff more. <laughs> Why are there so few patients? There you go. That could be it. There we go. <laughs> so what do you want to talk about today? So um, we were talking and we think it's time to hit the hard topic ah, of boy. ED. It's a classic boy, GB. How many weeks did it take you to yeah, think of it's that? It's a classic GB. It really uh, is. Um, you know, what is that called? A double entendre or something like that? Yes, that's exactly what okay. it's called. We, you know, it, not, not the GB wit. <laughs> we, we have... The GB sense of humor. We have um, been sort of leading up to this. I think even touched on it in small small bits and pieces, but it does feel like a topic that deserves its own episode. Or who knows if the conversation goes down dark alleys as uh, it tends to go, maybe it'll span even more. But um, let's get into it. Yeah. So, Doc, what exactly is ED? ED. 
Um, so erectile dysfunction has its own sort of clinical definition. In other words, um, it needs to fulfill certain criteria. And the reason why these definitions are very specific is it all gets back to kind of, you know, when you're talking about drugs and treatment and things like that, you know, you have to fulfill these criteria in order to uh, prescribe something or treat something that insurance is going to reimburse. You're, you're, you're a little too clinical. Well, no, let, I'm just, let, I'm let, just telling you. I'm just telling you why we have these specific definitions. How, how but does one erectile dysfunction? Okay. I'm just going to tell you is the is the inability to have an erection that is sufficient for penetrative intercourse. Penetrative intercourse meaning the ability to penetrate vaginally or. You know, if okay. you're hold, hold not a, a heterosexual, okay. it may be something the else. inability. A melon of some sort? <laughs> no, nah, I don't know about that. That has never, that has not <laughs> come not up in sentence. my clinical practice. Okay, no. a pie? Has not come up. The inability to have an erection to penetrate vaginally. Is, it, is that correct? In, in the world of heterosexual relationships, okay. yes. Okay, so, so. let's just keep it to that at okay, this point, so, just to be simple. Uh, so. Is there a range of softness to firmness? Is 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 are there things that a man will experience in his in his teenage years and his twenties and thirties versus thirties, forties, and fifties and sixties? So may, maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about that because this, isn't there a spectrum on this? Because or is, it, or is it binary as you're saying? Either you can penetrate or you. Or it's just, you can't, you're not hard enough to do that. Well, I think from the standpoint of strict definition, um, it, it is, it is the ability to penetrate. So you're asking, what about someone who might have a softer erection? They are able to penetrate, um, but, um, it's not satisfactory. And that has kind of crept into the definition a little bit because, and, and that's the subjective part. I mean, let's say you have an erection that's sufficient enough to penetrate, but you're not able to you're not able to have an orgasm because it's maybe it's not hard enough. And so yeah, you can penetrate, but you can't really have a satisfactory sexual experience. Then one would say wait, wait, I just a point of clarification. A satisfactory sexual experience does not necessarily equate to an orgasm. The, 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 there, there could be differences in that. True. So I'm saying that it, it, that's why I'm saying satisfactory has crept into the definition. So now it's become a little bit more subjective where someone can come in and say, yeah, I have an, I have an erection. I can, I can penetrate with my partner, but it's not satisfactory either because I'm not feeling aroused enough or persistently aroused enough by that experience, or I can't have an orgasm or whatever it is. It's not satisfactory. I see. Now, does weight have anything to do with this? Not, not particularly. No. I because mean, you could be obese and have, I mean, that could, that can play into this in terms but, of causative factors, right, but because, not in terms of definitions. Because you it, asked me what the definition right, is. And I'm what what you. we've talked about is that you've explained, if I recall correctly, that the penis is a vascular organ, right? Which right. has to do with blood flow. Right. Right. And if one is overweight, you've got blood flowing to all these other areas of the body that maybe don't need that blood flow and therefore that blood is being diverted to the penis 
That, that's what I'm getting at here. I mean diverted away from the penis? Diverted away from the penis, right? Okay. So, so if you have less weight, you've got the same amount of blood that can go to well, um, certain it, places. It when sounds it, like the definition would be the same. You're starting to get into treatment where maybe that person, if they lost weight, that could help their, you know, their condition. Or you're starting to get into cause. Right, right. We're just talking about defining it, which I think we covered. Okay, so let's talk about cause. Okay, um, we can do that. We can do that. And, and, and you're saying that weight could be a cause? Um, I think weight could contribute to causative factors. I don't think it in and of itself is a cause. It, it, in terms and, you're, of- and you're kind of trying to uh, theorize that somehow blood is, you're, you're losing blood flow to the penis because you have so much more mass I think it's an interesting concept, but that has never been shown, um, and and it really doesn't quite add up because if you're going to add weight to your body, your your blood volume is going to compensate, your heart is going to compensate, it's going to become you know more capable of perfusing that greater mass, and therefore it's going to all equate. So when so, I when I think of cause, so I'll just give you the the um, layman's. Um, perspective great just from what like i've encountered or you yeah. know just what what you what i theorize like the best way to put it is um cause could be medical could be something that's just in your uh that i don't, I don't want to say genetic but there's something going on with your physiology physiology thank you um then there's i think about things like stress and emotional issues and then there's um there's things that you are ingesting drugs alcohol environmental is that, is that yeah, environmental, environmental factors, right? So whether you're on other drugs or what be prescribed or not, um, as well as uh, potentially alcohol. So I think that's a pretty good, like, I think that's a good breakdown. And that is somewhat how we break it down. I mean, those must be delicate conversations when you're talking to a patient like, hey, you know, any meth in your uh, in your life last night or what? Well, listen, as a doctor, we're all trained to do the, the, the sort of paradigm of evaluating medical disorders is the and the classic, you literally take a course on the history, the history and physical examination. Because if you don't get the truth, then you can't get to the treatment. And the history is broken. The truth to the treatment. Yeah, there you go. Coming up next week. (laughs) The history is in and of itself a very, um, to take a medical history is uh, a very sort of uh, paradigm, it's like a paradigm of steps. You know, you first find out it's sort of the who, what, why, when. Yeah, you're like you know, a you're like a detective, like a reporter, asking when did this start, what makes it better, what makes it worse, um, all those kinds of questions. Then you get in. That's the that's the history of present illness. We call it the next step in a history is the past medical history. Do you have diabetes? Do you have heart disease? Do you have you ever had a stroke? All those kinds. Of, what are your disorders? Then you get to medications. What kind of drugs do you take? Then you get to social history. This is all very much kind of the, it's, it's, it's been repeated across all fields of medicine. If you mm-hmm. look at any history and physical report, whether you're a neurologist, a psychiatrist, a urologist, a surgeon, it's always in this format. So that, that social history is going to get into, are you a smoker? Do you drink alcohol? Do you use drugs like heroin or anything like that? If you had problems with using drugs? That's the social history. What about do you watch porn? That that could get into the social history. And, and, if, and that can have an impact too, right? Absolutely. Well, 
somewhat. I mean, that gets into a psycho social history also can kind of double for psychosocial history. And that's kind of what you're getting at. Psychosocial history. Yeah. You're getting at like, you know, are you under a lot of stress? Have you been watching a lot of porn and has that had an impact either positive or negative on this problem? So, so you, you've talked to your patients that, or the patients may say, you know, doc, I, you know, when I watch porn, it's everything's good. But then when I'm with my partner, I'm just, yeah, that comes just, up. Yeah. It's like selective ED at that point. That comes up. That definitely comes up. That's we talk about that. Um, and and so what's your recommendation to watch porn with your partner? Well, I mean, that you when when you're going through this, it's very methodical. You know, you go through this whole history of present illness and you take all of these factors together. So the answer to your question is it, it depends. I mean, if somebody tells me that that's what's going on, what it tells me that that they can have a good erection when they're watching porn, but it's not so great when they're with their partner. And we can, you know, for the most, sometimes the recommendation may be, I, I recommend that um, we refer you to a um, hmm. sex therapist that can work with you and your partner and come up with some strategies. Really? That might be part of the plan. And that might should, be one part. And do you have a go-to therapist? Uh, I have a list of people I refer to, yeah. There you're are looking, sex therapists. Are you looking for work? <laughs> <laughs> GB's got uh, a new career in mind. I think he's excited about this. He's really he's he's writing notes furiously, folks. Um, but no, uh, it may be a multiple things. My plan might do be you one, ever say my, can, my plan section at the bottom of the report might say plan one refer to the such and such sex therapy. Number two trial of Viagra. Do you, you ever know, do, you, like do you ever say can you pull up a picture of your partner? I have not done that. Oh, you haven't done that. No, that 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 would that's not, not a that causal effect. Maybe for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't come up. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you so you're doing the history yeah. as part of the diagnostics. Well, as part the his the diagnostics is a different well, subject. Well, well, hold on. But th this history, well, could, right? Because you've already you're figured doing out this that history, happened. irrespective of why the patient's coming in. Correct. Right, um, because you're going, you know, you, you, you come to the lobby, you, you fill out the checklist. You're, you're that's going a waiting room, by the way. You're talking about a hotel. Right? Yeah, go <laughs> you're, on. You're, you're, you're the waiting room. Well, I, I actually, when I check into a hotel, <laughs> I do give them some of this information. <laughs> just in case they need to know. You never know. What, what percentage of your practice uh, relates to erectile dysfunction? Um, I would, not high. I mean, I would say that's just because of me. I'm a general urologist, but I would say like... I don't know, 5%. 5%. Yeah, 5 to 10%. That surprises me. 5 to 10%. That surprises you. And is this... It does. Because you would think as a so-called dick doctor, it would be like 70%. I would think that um, people would want to come in, even if the, even if you end up telling them, listen, you know, you're fine. You just you just got to get out of your own head or whatever, whatever their issues are. Like you're not finding enough cause for for drugs or anything, but... You know, it's a big part of most people's lives, and if it's not working out for them, well, what's the well, average age of the patient too? Because me, do you get, yeah. do you see younger patients versus older patients? Well, let me let me also so of your five to ten percent, what's right. that breakdown? Let me also say that there's there's a tremendous overlap with other conditions and other reasons why people come in. So somebody may come in because they're having problems urinating. That may be what brought them in. I'm getting up five times a night to pee, doc, mm -hmm. and I. I can't, um, I can't, uh, hold it or something. Um, or my stream is really slow. Um, or maybe he's coming in because he had a kidney stone or maybe he's coming in because he had blood in his urine. Right. Um, 
But then as part of, remember I told you we have this very methodical way of doing a history and physical. The last thing that I didn't mention before we get into the physical examination is something called review of systems. And that's the time where we start to ask them about other things that might be going on with them that we're going to just try to screen for. So if you're here because you're you're passing a kidney stone, and granted, I'm not going to get too focused on it, but I might kind of, as we've gone through this whole thing, say, and how's everything else going? Are you right. having any trouble with, um, you know... Uh, testicular pain? Are you having any problems with your sex drive? Are you having any issues with erections? Like I might just screen you well, well, let me right. ask for a these question. other problems let me and ask then a we may pull that. it out. Well, so that, connecting that, issues that means and when we do that, that adds to that five to 10%. So, but right. that may, I'm not necessarily treating that problem at this time, right. I but you. I may circle back to it. So, and, then, and so that means that that five to 10% might end up being more like 30%. Okay. So doctors in the past have asked me, um, um, on a scale of one to 10, what is my, what pain am I feeling? Do you have that same type of spectrum for firmness that you ask your well, what patients we, about? What we do have- On a scale there, of one to 10, so, how firm so are there you? Are, 10 being- There are various hard. scores and we'll have them uh, at times, especially if their primary issue is they're coming in for erectile dysfunction, we'll get a baseline score and there are validated questionnaires, and that's a whole. I have to. I would have to. That 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 expression, validated questionnaire, is a whole discussion of it, what that really it, means. Is that by you testing the firmness with no, your no, hand? No, that's, that's a, not the that's validation. A, hi, that's that's funny. But no, it's a it's ask, a score. Ask me, ask me what my score is right now of pain. TV. <laughs> <laughs> It's a high yeah, number. JT is definitely, he's kind of turning red right now, folks. And his fists are clenched. And GB is just laughing. But in any event, um, uh, yeah, it's like a, there, there are different ones. One's called the, and I forget what it stands for, but the IEFF, I think. And the other one's called a SHIM score. And these, these are acronyms. And they're validated scores. And the patient fills out this questionnaire. And it's like maybe on a scale of one to five. And it may ask like, you know, when you obtain an erection, how likely are you to be able to maintain it through your, through intercourse and an orgasm? How difficult is you, is it for you to attain an, uh, an erection? How likely is it that your erection each time is sufficient? You know, so it goes through these questions and this is a very standardized. May, may I ask a question? What is the difference between uh, an ejaculation and an orgasm or is there not a difference? Um, okay. We can discuss that. Um, and, and orgasm is rhythmic contractions of what are called the perineal muscles, which are muscles that are at the very base of your pelvis. And when those contractions occur in a rhythmic fashion, it produces a, a very euphoric sensation for people. And that can occur with or without ejaculation. With Ejacu or without? Right. Ejaculation well, it's going to occur with ejaculation, but sometimes people have either a disorder or medically mm -hmm. induced lack of ejaculation, but they can still have an orgasm. So ejaculation is obviously the um, uh, e ejection or discharge of semen in your during the time of your orgasm. That's ejaculation. You can have ejaculation without an orgasm. Bummer. But that's usually induced. <laughs> so like there are ways to induce someone to ejaculate 
without having an orgasm. <laughs> All right. I'm perplexed. Chibi's head is exploding over here, but before he asks 10 more follow-up <laughs> questions, <laughs> we, let's, let's, I want to, I, cause I, we're, we're, want to bring it back. We're doing well. I, cause we've, we've talked about, um, some of the These are critical symptoms. questions. Yes. <laughs> and then we were getting into causes. Right. And I, and I, right. I, I you want me to break that down? I'm interested in, in those categories. We generally I gave categories, you my sort of layman's yeah, we, version. We but. Ge- in, in general, and you know, whatever I say on this podcast, you have to take it with a grain of salt a little bit because there are going to be nitpicker urologists that might listen to this and say, well, you forgot to mention this and this and that. And I'm trying to kind of, right. I'm trying to bring this together so that it's succinct and accessible for everybody listening. I'm trying to understand the rhythmic contractions. You you stick with that. And and the hips have something to do with that. We'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. But the, but the categories are vasculogenic, neurogenic, and psychogenic. So vasculogenic erectile dysfunction would be, like it sounds, a problem with... <laughs> trying to figure it out. Okay, it doesn't sound like a, anything. It's problem... Well, whenever you have the term vascular in there, it's it has to do with blood. Blood flow, yeah. So, right. It's your lack of sufficient blood flow, or it could be that blood's getting into the penis, but then it's escaping right after it gets in. We call that venous leak. Mm. So there's... Venous leak. Yes. So there's different vascular causes of erectile dysfunction. And um, they all together, all of those. Why is it called venous? Well, veins are what take the blood away from a structure. Shouldn't it be called venous leak then? We pronounce it venous, V E N O U S. But in any event, that would be V E I N O U S. I'm thinking like Greek mythology here with Venus. Venus, V E N O U S. Um, and so any kind of blood flow issue to the penis, maybe you've got a problem where your blood pressure generally is just too low. Maybe you're on blood pressure drugs, your blood pressure is really low and it keeps it low because you're on these drugs. So you can't sufficiently, um, uh, in, you know, perfuse those structures in your penis that give you an erection or maybe you're overweight. I'm sure you're going to really <laughs> so, you know, I just want you to know that this is not a show that that, um, you know, discriminates or otherwise has any problem with obesity. That's perfectly fine. I just want everybody to know. And and I'm sure you'll get into <laughs> there's probably a lot of a lot. Even of though GB may have an issue, we really don't. Uh, two men and a doc does not have a problem with obesity. OK. Go on. Well, you should, I, as a doctor, you should have an issue with obesity. <laughs> it's 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 a health issue. I, but I don't have a judgmental issue. No. Okay. That's okay. But but I'm just trying to get down to the to the root cause. I know. And and well, if somebody's having this problem, if it's closely correlated with weight, that's all I'm getting at. So it sounds like that's one potential of a vascular um, category. But I, I'm sure you'll get into. Not that it, we don't want to go through the laundry list, but there must be a whole host of conditions people have completely unrelated, like blood pressure, that the medication they're taking, this is an unfortunate side effect. Correct. But you would categorize that categorize that as a vasculogenic cause. That's under vasculogenic, okay. right? Like, for example, there's neurogenic causes where, because we have nerve endings that go down into the, you know, from our brain that through various connections, synapses, reach the penis, and there may be something causing problems for those signals to reach the penis. It may come down to a medication you're using that's creating inhibitions of those connections. Mm-hmm. 
but it all falls under the category of neurogenic. Maybe you're a spinal cord injury person. Yeah, I was going to ask you so that. So any, anything, that. yeah, anything from spinal but, cord injuries to stroke to um, drugs that are affecting your nervous system, that would fall under would, neurogenic causes. Would blood thinners impact this? Uh, no, 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 are they there, would not. Is the opposite true with like a paraplegic where they actually... They may not be able to feel it, but they can get an erection. And because you hear about people having families. So those are those are those are what we would call like reflexive erections because there is a reflex arc. We use that term, which just simply means when you, you know, the classic, the doctor taps your 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 patellar tendon and your knee and your foot kicks forward. They're activating a reflex arc. There is a sensory nerve that they're activating that's going to your spinal cord, and then there's a synapse, a connection with an what we what with a what we call a, an efferent nerve or the nerve that activates a muscle. It goes right back to your knee. Never, it doesn't go to your brain. Hmm. When they check that that reflex, it's simply a reflex arc, which means it's going to your spinal cord and right back. It does not go to your brain. And there's a similar reflex arc that exists for the penis. If the penis is sufficiently stimulated, if somebody, you know, a woman or Sounds whoever, like a good test. yeah, there you go. You can have a reflex where it doesn't even go to your brain and it causes an erection. And that's what happens to spinal cord injury. So, so if I was a patient and I came to see you uh, regarding ED, you, I, I know where this is you going. You would potentially yeah. test the, my reflex arc. No, I wouldn't. You would not. Okay. I know you would. You would because that's the kind of guy you are, GB. And if you were a doctor, I'm sure that's what you would do. And we would be hearing about GB in the news one day. <laughs> <laughs> so testing the reflex arc in the office is not a procedure that you would perform. No, we we, we no we would we might do certain sensory testing, um, and there are different kinds of devices that do that that kind of make little signals and. The person reports back, like, if they feel this, is it sharp? Is it dull? Do you feel cold sensation, hot sensation? Do you, like, whisper like in the ear to see? This is, again, something that GB would do if he were the urologist, but oh. not something that I do. Okay. So that was, I think we covered two out of the three. Okay. And yeah, then there's... Psychogenic. Ooh. No, no. The last thing would be That's psychogenic. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Psychogenic. Sorry. Um, and psychogenic could my, be things my, like my you, brain reflex arc is there you go. <laughs> that that's quite the, on the ball. That's the stuff that, that you brought up, which could be like stress in your life or difficulty in your marriage or your relationship, whatever it is. Or difficulty um, in the podcast. Um, the, the issue you brought up earlier about the weight. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> do you think he's obsessed with something? I don't know. Have a donut um, and relax over there. <laughs> Um, no, like the thing you brought up about porn If somebody's really like kind of addicted to porn and they can't have, um, a sufficient erection or satisfactory erection, um, without the porn, that might be more of a psychogenic issue. So these are three really very distinct things, obviously yeah. areas, and you've got to figure it out in order to get us to our next step, which is how to treat it. Right. And there's all kinds of diagnostic steps we use to get there, um, you but, know, but, as but I kind one, of alluded to in the beginning, the history most would say is the most important thing you do. Mm -hmm. in, in fact, it's interesting because just as an aside, I'm an expert witness on a case um, where someone got into a car accident. You were, or is this? I, I'm actually ongoing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an, an expert, expert witness, witness in an erectile dysfunction case. Yeah, where where See, uh, I want to be in a 
expert witness about something. <laughs> you know, could be. The West Wing? Does anyone need you're, an expert witness about the West Wing? You're producing this podcast. You could be an expert witness on a podcast. Somebody might say, I'm suing this producer or these people because they totally screwed me over I on just, this podcast. And then they'll somebody will call JT and they'll say, you are the... like." You are the See, world famous I, I I just producer of Two Men in a Dock. Yeah, I don't think we so. need I, no, an expert witness for I, this lawsuit. You are going to be on the witness stand and attest to what it takes to be I, a producer. I had no podcast. idea that I had this life goal of being an expert witness. And the doc is just, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to hire me to like how to brine a turkey, but I could be an expert witness in the lawsuit of. I'm telling you, I am, I'm very optimistic <laughs> about this podcast. Right. And like Sorry. within the next five years, you will be called to become an expert witness for a podcast. I've distract, I'm a bad, <laughs> bad producer. I've distracted everybody. Okay, so you're an expert witness. Oh, but it was worth it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm an expert witness on a case where, uh, um, you know, where the defendant, I'm sorry, the plaintiff, I always get those mixed up, um, was in a car accident. They don't. Well, he was in a car I accident. Hope you don't get confused on the stand. Right. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> where he was in a car accident and um, did have some uh, spinal cord uh, issues from the car accident and does have um, erectile dysfunction. Um, and it was interesting because I'm not even sure why, but this plaintiff's uh, side insisted during what's called the independent medical examination where I where he comes in and I do a full history and physical stipulated as part of their agreement that I was not allowed to ask any questions. Hmm. All I was allowed to do was a physical exam. You can imagine that I don't know why that was their insistence. I really can't tell you. But you can imagine that so you're, you're, I can't produce a proper determination. Um, right. And so that's what I'm going to say in my report is that ultimately I can't make this determination because the most important aspect of determining cause for erectile dysfunction is the history, right. as I just explained to you. So the plaintiff hired you then? Uh, no, the defendant. The defendant. The defendant hired me. Uh, oh, right, to, right. Because yeah. that was the accused person that caused Because he's it. accusing the defendant right. of causing him right. erectile Got dysfunction. Got and so they're trying to, you know, ha I'm the expert witness on the defense side to say whether or not I agree that this uh, accident It sounds like you'll be it. very easy to cross-examine. Well, well, who stipulated <laughs> yes, the ask no, you, who stipulated, Did you ask him any questions? Right. Who stipulated the no question rule? His attorneys. So the plaintiff. I guess the plaintiff yeah. and his attorneys, yeah. Oh, God. Why? I don't know. Okay. So I'm just saying In that the event, poor guy. The point yeah. the point being that you have to be able to obtain um, a a well a detailed history to help, you know, to to aid in the determination. And yes, diagnostics will come come through on this as well, which by the way I wasn't also I wasn't allowed to do just the physical exam. So diagnostics play a role and there's a whole battery of tests we can do to help us determine the cause of erectile dysfunction. And then there's the whole treatment, right? The treatment goes back decades, if not more, in terms of different things. I mean, and it's a fascinating story from, you know, you have to realize that going back, say, even to the 50s, there really was nothing that could be done. Um, um, think yeah, about, let's, let's talk about, think how about you know, the, who's, who's, who, you know, who's a really famous person who was, through his writing, frankly, um, it seemed evident that he had a problem with erectile dysfunction. 
I can't say for sure, but I believe it's true, was Hemingway. Are you, you breaking ever, any doctor-patient confidentiality? I, I, not that I, I don't think so. <laughs> he was not I hope a the Hemingway estate doesn't come well, after only me. Only he was your patient. But, but, you know, his characters, if you read, I think it was, um, was, the, was the one about the Spanish Revolution from whom the, tell, the bell tolls? I think that's it. And I think in that novel, the main character, words. I forget, you can look it up. I think the main, it was either that or the sun also rises, but the main character, um, it's a big part of his story is mm. that he is impotent. He, he, he's impotent. He's a young man. Um, and I think people have all alluded to the fact that that is sort of autobiographical. Um, but there was nothing to be done in those days. There was nothing to be done. There was no drugs. There was no procedures. There was nothing you could do. The big turning point, there, there were surgical procedures. I think they came up in the 60s. And those were what we call malleable implants. They would basically implant literally a malleable a rod. A mechanical solution. A malleable rod that went inside your penis and you would just bend it down when you weren't using it and you would bend it up yeah. when you wanted it and that's how it worked. And then the big revolution came in the early 70s. And that's when, the, and, and I'll kind of end on this note because we're probably running out of time. But, but that... You're doing okay. I mean, I'm curious about, we can lead up to current day and... Okay. and, and, and leave it for and another And we'll come time. back to maybe part two. So but. this is a great story. In the early 70s, you know, our association, there's like the American Medical Association, the American Association of Pediatrics. Our big association is called the American Urologic Association, the AUA. And the AUA has this big annual meeting every year at a convention center, right? And literally like 50,000 urologists show up. I mean, it's crazy. All the world's urologists go to this meeting. And in the early 70s, it's like a famous story. Um, they have something called the plenary sessions. I don't even know what that word means. Plenary. Yeah, I don't even know what that word means. But the plenary sessions are, you know, you know when you go into a convention center, they have those gigantic rooms. Like think of the auto show, right? Mm -hmm. So the plenary session is this gigantic room where they have like huge screens up so you can see the speaker because you're you literally he's like a dot at the front of the room and um and and we're all sitting you know i wasn't there obviously i was five years old at the time but um <laughs> but all these guys are are mostly men but there are women too at the, you know even back then who are sitting in the audience and some guy gets up i can't even tell you what his name is and he starts to give this lecture about um, the, the, the discovery of a drug that can induce an erection if injected into the penis. Mm. And, and the event and, and what happened was this guy gives this talk and you can see that there's a lot of whispers in the audience that this isn't true. Like, is this really possible? Come on. Hmm. There's a drug that you can like inject into your I penis. I would have thought there would be jaw dropping, not whispers. No, people were like very, uh, there was a lot of skepticism, a lot of skepticism. Right. So what do you think this guy did in front of thousands of people on no. the stage at the plenary session? And this is an this is not urban legend. This is absolutely true. He dropped trial. Well, dropped trial. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Plenary is a session of a conference which all members of all parties are to attend. Oh, thank so, you for that. Definition. So it sounds like he was inviting his member to attend. <laughs> I tell you, the GB guy. It, when it comes to <laughs> jokes that weave in. Anything related to the penis, GB is the master. I mean, there's nobody better at, at weaving <laughs> might, in jokes and double entendres there about there might be penis and erections than GB. I'm telling you, he is the king. King. 
All right, All right. So, so yeah, the guy drops Trow. Am I the king or the him, master? <laughs> there you go. He, he drops Trow and he gives himself an injection. And sure enough, within five, three to five minutes, has a rock hard erection. That's the longest so, three minutes so since that this was, ever had to This was in the 70s. And he, he probably, got a standing ovation. There must be a double I, entendre there. Yeah, there is a right? double entendre Let's on hear. that. But, but no, but I, I'm assuming it's a 70s. He, so he probably uh, wait, was. Not, I got one. I got one. It doesn't they, really. They came to attention. You get it? There you go. But it yeah. doesn't prove anything. I mean, he could well, have well, done hold that on. Was on he, his own. Was what he, do you mean? Well, what do you mean he could have done that on his own? You mean he got like aroused by yeah, looking at the excited audience? excited by a thousand people looking at him. No, like come on. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> well, clearly he did not have any performance anxiety. That's for sure. Anyways, what? that became the mainstay of treatment for the next Three decades. Is it? Is it also true that that's what led to the phenomena of men's grooming? Okay, I'm dying. Wait, wait, wait. JT, wait, wait, wait. JT, I can just turn this mic down. That would be the easiest. That is a great. Can you do that without him knowing it? Yes. That would be amazing. The last thirty minutes. No, but I want to know, JT, what is he talking about? You're going to make me interpret this thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. GB is suggesting that that in front of a thousand people, perhaps this man might have groomed himself best so for his big his big shows. Am I correct in that? Well, what I'm suggesting is back in the 70s. He had some sort of Brazilian. With with long beards and long hair is that there probably wasn't a lot of men's grooming back then. And so that led subsequently to the grooming that um, I've been reading about. (laughs) Wow. That was an incredible. I just just want everybody to hear this. He is clearly a genius because he's one of those people who has like... 10 different thoughts in his head. He takes us to the Which one did he ninth choose? or 10th yeah. uh-huh. thought. It was the 10th. And for him, he, he, he <laughs> has this, when you're a genius, you kind of have the expectations that everybody else listening to you has to understand your mind. That's what it is. And he's, that's, he's just farther ahead of really, us. That's it what is, you're saying? It is. I got it. He's okay, a now, now it makes he is sense. a genius. Can I get back to this? So yeah. the treatment was an actual injection that you are giving With yourself. With a needle, yeah. Wow. Within and that needle. lasted until the 90s? Yep. Until Viagra. Wow. Yep. That was the mainstay of the treatment. I mean, it was immediate. Viagra is a longer period. Right? Oh, wait, wait. And to this day, it is still a very successful and very commonly used treatment because A, sometimes Viagra doesn't work or you got side effects that you can't tolerate or B, you don't like taking the medications orally because when you do, it doesn't give you a, an instantaneous effect. Right. Sometimes it's, you have to wait an hour. It sounds very romantic to have your partner inject you. Well, for certain people like GB, it could be tremendously stimulating. So people have needles on their bedside table. Correct. So wow. you, you, so you, in certain cases, may prescribe that to the patient depending Absolutely. upon... Absolutely. To this day. Really? To this day. Absolutely. As an option. As an option. How do you dispose of the needles? That's a good question. I mean, you, you talk about that. You, the, usually the needles are dispensed by the pharmacy, and they usually give them materials for proper disposal. It, it, but you're it, right. It's an issue. Is um, that hazardous? Can you throw it? It's absolutely. Regular, it's biohazard. Can you, no. So no. Can, can you throw it in the garbage, no. or what do you it's, have to do? It's, it's biohazard, and um, uh, I believe the pharmacies typically will Let's give you the container. Will give them a container, and then you bring, bring it back, back to the pharmacy, yeah. kind of like CRV. Yeah. <laughs> they give you five cents <laughs> per needle. Oh, big week, twenty-five cents. Here you go. <laughs> Congratulations. Wow. Okay, that's a very that is an interesting story. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, what about, um, you've mentioned in the past that pumps have also been used. That seems like that would be something that's been around for quite some time. And it's still around um, vacuum erection devices, V-E-D. Vacuum erection devices. Yeah, you can chew on that for a little while. What about what about and like do you, the... you prescribe those yes. in certain cases yes. today? Yes. Is there ever a combination of a vacuum erection device yes. and something else? Yeah, maybe an injection and a vacuum. Yeah, maybe both. But it... honestly, very rarely. The the vacuum erection devices are, and, and we would have to have a are discussion those dishwasher about dishwasher safe. <laughs> 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 you, we would have to have a discussion. No, we we, are, we recommend hand washing. So I think this is a great place for the cliffhanger. All right, we've um, I, I, the cliffhanger is what what ultimately took over when it right. came well, to these you know injectable yeah, you've agents. We've got, gotten us. Through. We're on the precipice of treatment. There you go. I mean, the of last modern treatment. I didn't modern realize treatment. that so much had changed over the last twenty years, and now. We're even at a point where technology is changing dramatically and getting us into the next phase of, right. of treatment, which is really interesting. That goes beyond um, just oral oral medication. So let's leave it at that. This All has right. been a, a great primer, and uh, we'll come back next week and find out what, what people are doing these days. Nice. GB. I like it. Thank you, JT. Thank you, Doc. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. Until next time. Thanks, guys. With two men and a doc. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast, so write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.